Today is the third Sunday of Build the Wall. As we walk through the book of Nehemiah, we're learning what God is calling us to do. And by tracking through the life of Nehemiah. So let's, let's recap real quickly because if you're a guest here this morning, I don't want you to be in the dark. And if you missed a Sunday or two Sundays, I don't want you to be sort of not sure exactly where we are. So let's take a quick recap of where we've been so far. So we know that before Nehemiah began and why the story of Nehemiah happened in the first place is because God is such a good God. And he came and he rescued his people out of slavery, out of a bad situation. And I guarantee you almost everybody in here this morning has found yourself in a bad situation somewhere in your life. And man, you needed God to show up and bail you out. And that's what God did. God showed up in Egypt and he led his people, Israel, out of Egypt, out of slavery. He did all sorts of amazing, incredible things for them and, and brought them to the promised land. And here's, here's what he said. I set before you today blessing and cursing. And if you, knowing who I am, that there's no one higher than me, knowing how I've blessed you, how I've led you, how I've rescued you, I would, I would think, I just untied my shoes, so my bad. Um, so I would think... I'm very skilled at this. Um, I would think that you would want to follow me just out of gratitude, out of love, out of thankfulness. And if you do, then the life that I have created for you, the place that I have brought you to will be full of promise and blessing. But if you decide that, hey, it's all cool. He got me out of a bad spot, but you know, now I'm gonna do my own thing then it's going to be like I'm against you because there are going to be some natural consequences that that occur if if you decide that, hey, I was good enough to save you, but I'm not good enough to walk with and walk for every day. And so if you walk away from me, there are some bad consequences that are going to happen in this direction. So you know what that is. You've done that in your own life. And they did. And God allowed them to reap the consequences of their own decisions. So Babylon came in, conquered Jerusalem, destroyed it, took people away from their homes, from their country. They lost it all. Some of you in here this morning, you kind of know that feeling. You know what it feels like to to just lose everything that you you thought you had. And everything was ripped out from under them all, all at once. But God said, when he was offering them blessing and cursing, hey, if you turn your back on me and you you go the other way, somewhere along the line, if you'll turn your heart back to me, I will show up again and I'll rescue you again. That's what he did. That's what he did. And you might be sitting here today and you think, man, I've gone so far the other direction, I can't get back. And God says, I will meet you there. And sure enough, they did and he did. And so... Persia conquered Babylon. And all of a sudden, without any understanding necessarily of why, the king of Persia says, hey, if you guys that are from Jerusalem, y'all want to go back and rebuild your city, go ahead. You have my blessing. And so there were two different groups that went back before Nehemiah. And so they journeyed from Persia all the way back to Jerusalem. And when they got there, the first group was kind of large. It wasn't everybody from from Israel, but the first group went back, probably about 50,000 people or so. They, they, They rebuilt an altar to start worshiping God again, but they didn't have a church. And so then Ezra goes back and he takes a smaller group, but they got the temple rebuilt. Now they got an altar, they got a church, but they didn't have the walls. Now, you may not think that's a big deal, but in ancient times, walls were huge. And if you didn't have a wall around your city, you were were missing a whole lot of things that were really important and necessary. 
And for them, it meant that they had no protection whatsoever. Anything could come in and mess with them. They had no, uh, no identity because the walls provided an identity from their people, their personhood. They had no vision because when you have a wall, you can get up on top and you can see out ahead what's coming. But with no wall, there was no vision. And for most of them, that felt like there's no hope. And when you take somebody's hope, you've taken one of the most important things you can take from anybody. And that's where they were. And that's the story that Nehemiah got at the beginning of this book. And it hit him like a ton of bricks. He felt such a burden for the fact that God's people were in such a desperate situation that he fell to his knees and he began to pray and fast and seek God. And kind of what's amazing to me is he wanted to go back and help rebuild the wall, but he wasn't an architect. He wasn't an engineer. He had zero experience whatsoever in building walls. But church, I'm telling you, when, when God places a burden for the thing that he wants done, I don't care how many diplomas you got on your wall. All you got to know is that God's stamp of approval is on it. And if he approved it, then you're good. Amen. And so he began to leverage all of the things in his bag that God had already given him. Things that maybe he didn't even know was there. And he wound up talking to the king and getting permission to go back. He got certificates to get all the supplies he would need from all of the surrounding countries to rebuild the wall. When he got back to Jerusalem, he had his marching orders and he had all the resources that he would need, but he didn't tell anybody. He took some time and he began to pray again. He began to assess the situation in Jerusalem again. He wanted to make sure that he had, he had lined his heart and his plan up with God's. And I shared with you last Sunday that that's kind of what's happened here at Orchardville Church. When I came here, I had no pre-exposure to Orchardville, so I didn't know you. You didn't really know me. And I didn't come with a plan that I'm going to take something that I've done somewhere else and I'm going to, I'm going to force it on Orchardville Church. I came like Nehemiah, praying and asking God, God, clarify to me, speak to me, show me, what do you want us to do? And over time, through prayer, through conversations with many of you, some solicited, some unsolicited, God began to affirm to me a vision about where he wants this church to go. So I began to share that with the deacons. And the more that we talked about, the more on board we got together. I shared it with the staff and the more we talked about it, the more they got on board with it. And so we invited you to come Wednesday and Thursday night to kind of a vision uh, meeting here at the church to hear where is God leading the church? And there was an incredible response. You, there were over a hundred of your brothers and sisters that were here for two nights and four hours to hear what God is doing. And so this morning, I wanna, I wanna give you just a, a, a glimpse of what's gonna happen. Uh, and you're gonna hear a lot more of this as we go forward. Um, but sometimes, you know, you, you take what's happened in the past and you take all the good from it, but then you leverage it for something better. And here's, here's where God is taking us. We're gonna go from Sunday school version 1.0 to Sunday school version 5.0 in one step. It's a complete overhaul, a complete revamp of Sunday school and it will transform everything about how we do ministry in this church. This will become the heart and soul of our church. We're gonna call it Sunday Sync. It's not gonna be Sunday school, it's gonna be called Sunday Sync. And why is that? Because when Sync basically means that you've got two or more things that are lined up together. It means two or, or more people that are working together in harmony, in alignment with each other. Because when, when things aren't synced up, things run rough, right? When things are, are not in sync, you don't have the right information. 
If you've got a, 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 a cell phone, a smartphone, and you've got a, an online account, when, when you're looking for something on one of those devices and they haven't synced up, you're, you're missing important information. And so Sunday Sync is about this entire church, not just those of you who have been coming to Sunday school for the last couple of years, everybody in this building. It's about everybody getting on the same page together, getting in alignment with the Great Commission through this ministry, getting in alignment with the heart of God, and getting in alignment with each other. That's what's going to happen. So between now and January the 13th, we're going to be training people. We're going to start training next Sunday out in the Burgess Lodge during the Sunday school hour. So for now until the end of the year, we will not be having our Sunday school as you've known it. That time will be committed to the training time for those that are going to help lead it. That means there's a spot for you. There are all of your brothers and sisters that were here, many of them committed to help in specific ways. And in these groups, we're going to have teachers. Every class is going to have a teacher. It's going to have an outreach leader and it's going to have a care leader. This is where the life of the church is going to get lived out. You don't want to be left out of this. This is the life of the church. This is where you're going to learn. It's where you're going to grow. It's where you're going to connect. It's where all of these things are going to happen. It's where you're going to be cared for. So we're going to be training people how to do all of those roles. So if you were not here and you want to be a part of how God is going to launch this church into the future, after the service, there are some uh, commitment cards out at the desk. And you can say, hey, I'm willing to be trained as a teacher. I'm willing to be trained as a care group leader. I'm willing to be trained as an outreach leader. You show up next Sunday morning. Nine o'clock for the regular Sunday school hour out in the Burgess Lodge, and we'll start telling you how all of it works. We're going to equip you. We will not leave you out there flapping. You will not be ODF. You will not be out there flapping. We, we will make sure that you know how to make this happen. All right, so next Sunday morning, nine o'clock, regular Sunday school hour, that will take the place of our Sunday school for all of those who are ready to roll up their sleeves and start building the wall. When Nehemiah shared the vision, everybody got to work. And it wasn't just a few people, it was everybody. Because it takes everybody to get the work done. So when that happens, I want to look this morning briefly through Nehemiah, beginning in Nehemiah chapter 4, at what happens once you begin to move in the direction of God's vision for us as a church or in your life at the personal level. Because I can promise you this, when we as a congregation or you as an individual decide I am gonna move toward God, some things are gonna happen. And you can count on it, you can take it to the bank, and the way that you deal with it is you know it's coming before it happens. So before we dive into Nehemiah chapter four, let's go to the word Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this church. God, thank you for the faithful men and women who have put their hand to the plow and have plowed these many years. God, we thank you for every life that has been rescued, every soul that has been saved. God, we thank you for a man and his wife who invested their life in giving birth to this thing. Thank you for his leadership, his vision. God, we stand on his shoulders today. But Lord, the fact that we're here means that you're not finished with us. And so God, we're trusting you for great and wonderful and marvelous things ahead because that's who you are. And that's what you call us into. So we pray your blessing over your word this morning. We pray your blessing over this con congregation. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. And, and by the way, um, I learned something Wednesday night. First time I've heard this. Um, my, uh, and just this is an aside. Don't mean to take a whole lot of time with this, but I just thought this was really fascinating. Okay, I shared with people who were here Wednesday and Thursday night 
Yet this revamp of Sunday school, this is not because of something that I did at my previous church. We, had, we bought a nightclub. I'm assuming most of you know nightclubs are not really built for Sunday school. So we didn't really have Sunday school at the church that I was in. So I'm not coming saying, wow, we had this incredible Sunday school program at our church in Peoria. We didn't because we didn't have Sunday school at all. But this is where God has led my heart. And so because I don't have experience as a pastor, I called my brother because my brother is a been in ministry for 40 years. He's a pastor in uh, East Tennessee. And he uh, has, he's planted two different churches. He pastored, planted and pastored one for 19 years. He's in his second plant right now that he's been pastoring for nine. Uh, but in, the, in between times, he's been on staff at two different churches. In one of those churches, he led a Sunday school program to grow from 300 to almost 900 in four years. 300 to 900 in four years. And you go, well, that's East Tennessee. Well, you know what? They ain't got nothing on us in Southern Illinois. Amen? Amen. All right, but here was the cool thing. So he came to lead us because he's got uh, experience and he's got know-how. So he was teaching us what, what to do and how to do it. And how many of you would like to guess, and those of you who are not, uh, those of you who are here, don't say anything. How many of you would like to guess what my brother's name might have been? What? What's my name? Mark. What do you think my brother's name was? Greg. I kid you not. Did, well, and uh, Miss Karen, where's Miss Karen? She, she came to Leslie on Wednesday night, and she said, Leslie, what is your middle name? And, and Leslie told her, and she said, whew, thank goodness. If your middle name had been K, I would have dropped dead on the spot. <laughs> So in case you're missing the inside joke, Pastor Mark that was here all those years had a brother named Greg. So here I am, God has brought you a new pastor named Mark who has a brother named Greg. How crazy is that? All right. So let's, let's look at Nehemiah. So anytime we start to move in, in God's direction, whether it's corporately or personally, we're going to run into some things. And while Nehemiah primarily is addressing a corporate sort of dynamic, I want to make sure that you are hearing this and processing it at a personal level. Because when it gets down to it, Whatever is going on at the corporate level is nothing more than a reflection of what's going on at the personal level, right? Because the corporate is made up of all the individuals. And so whatever the corporate is, group is uh, uh, able to accomplish, it boils down to having people at the individual level being able to work through some things. All right, so I want to make sure that as we go through this, that you're hearing and processing this application in your own life. Okay, so number one, when you start to move in God's direction, you're going to run into some external challenges. Count on it, take it to the bank, know that it's going to happen, but be prepared for it. So let's look at what God has to say through Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4 beginning in verse one. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and he mocked the Jews. Now, when you start to move in God's direction, chances are really good that some people that are outside these walls Maybe it's somebody in your family that's not saved. Maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a person in that group of friends that you're hanging around with. They are not going to like the change that God is bringing in your life. And for some of those friends, some of those family members, they're going to start to get a little indignant 
and maybe a little angry and start making fun of you as you start to move from where you are to where God wants you to be. You might even hear some things like, well, who do you think you are? Oh, you're going to be Mr. or Miss Goody Two-Shoes now? Hey, who do you think you're fooling? Man, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just shake your head. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because Satan is never going to be okay with you moving from a desert lost place to a promised land that God is calling you to. Never. And he's going to bring people all around you to start saying things and doing things to be a problem for you. Now, here's what happens when Satan starts to do this. There's a progression that he will work through if the first thing or two don't work. So when you start moving toward God and people start getting a little ticked off and they start making fun of you or they start pretending that, you know, it ain't never going to work and who do you think you are? And if that doesn't work, then they're going to up the ante. Verse 7. Now, it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, when, when they see that your, your life is really, honestly, truly starting to change, they became very angry. You ain't nothing but a hypocrite. Your life, you used to run around and do all the things, and now you're going to go to church, and you're going to act all holy and everything. And it will turn from just some mocking and some frustration to be outright opposition. And the friends and the family that you have counted on, they will sometimes be your absolute worst critics when you are moving toward the heart of God. Family members that you used to hold close, that you used to walk with and fellowship with and enjoy fun and, and joyful times with, now will turn their back on you and not even speak to you. Because they're angry. How dare you do that to them? You know why? Because they are feeling the guilt of their own sin when you start to walk in another direction. See, what is the old saying? Misery loves company. Sin does too. And so when you start to move toward the heart of God, there's going to be people that are not happy and they're going to work to make your life miserable. And that's why you got to be very, very watchful. You may be, remember the verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, 8. Peter says, hey, listen, be aware because your enemy is a roaring what? Lion. Seeking whom he may what? Devour. He, listen, he promised you all sorts of good things. That's what Satan does. Hey, come over here, do this thing. Come over here, do this thing. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. But all the time, he is planning on destroying you. He will take you down, stomp you in the ground, and he will walk away and laugh about it. Because he has nothing but your destruction and your misery in mind. So be aware, because it's going to happen. But here's the thing. If intimidation and fear will not work, he'll change tactics, because he's going to take you down one way or the other. So be aware of shifting strategies which often feels like minimalizing temptations. Turn to chapter six. Let's look at verse one in chapter six. And now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let's meet together among the villages in the plain 
of Ono, but they thought to do me harm. This is a place where Ono is an Ono. Come on, let's just, come on. Just, let's just, come on. Let's hang out. Let's talk about this. It's no big deal. Church, I'm telling you, some of the most dangerous situations to your spiritual health and welfare are the situations that feel like it's no big deal. Here's, here's what that sounds like. Oh, come on, just, just have this one drink with me. It's no big deal. Oh, come on, just, just try this once with me. It's no big deal. Just once. Or for teenagers or young adults that aren't married, oh, come on, just, let's just do it this one time. We love each other anyway. It's no big deal. Or hey, let's just skip out of church this one time. It's no big deal. When Satan can get you to start minimalizing and dismissing real issues, real sin, he is moving you in an incredibly dangerous direction. Church sin is still sin and hell is still hot. That has never changed and it's not going to change. And when we start acting like it's no big deal, we are moving in a dangerous direction and playing a dangerous game. And if Satan can't intimidate you and get you one way, he will work another. One other really uh, difficult external challenge is when we start to twist Scripture. Stay in chapter 6. Look at verse 4. But they sent me this message four times. I answered them in the same manner. And then Sam Ballot sent his servant over to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there's a king in Judah. Now, what you may not be aware of is that during the time of Nehemiah, three of all the Old Testament prophets were uh, in doing their work. You had Zechariah, you had Haggai, and you had Malachi. All three were called into the ministry of, of what God wanted to during the time of Nehemiah. And do we know that the Old Testament promises that there will be a king in Judah? We know that, right? That's gonna be Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. That's what they were prophesying. But here, they're saying, hey, those prophets that are talking about a king in Judah, that's, you, you did that. You're trying to get everybody to, to, to think that you're going to be the king in Judah. And so now, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to report this to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. And I sent to him saying, no such things as you, are say, as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. And therefore, oh God, strengthen my hands. Listen, church, if Satan can't intimidate you or distract you, he will try to fool you by misquoting the word. It has been one of his main go-tos since the very fall of man. When he met with Eve in the garden, it's exactly what he did. We said, well, what'd God say? And Eve said, well, this is what God said. Well, did God really say that? You really think that he meant that? 
I have told you ever since I arrived, bring your Bible to church. Whether it's a digital copy or a hard copy, I don't care, but bring your Bible to church because don't ever, ever, ever accept the word of a man without comparing it to the word of God. Because I am a fallen, finite man. My God is an infinite, perfect, holy God. His word will stand. Mine will fail. Don't ever take my word over the word of God. And when people start taking the word to get what they want, that is a dangerous place for you when you are trying to move in the direction of God. Always, always, always come back to your foundation. This is your touch point. This is where everything originates. And it either lines up with the word of God or it's not of God. Satan will twist the scripture to throw you off track if nothing else works. So church, when you start moving toward the heart of God, when you start to rebuild something in your life that needs to be rebuilt, you better know that you're in for a fight. And as that happens, if you know what to expect before it happens, it makes you better prepared to deal with it. But not only are you going to get some external challenges, you're going to get some internal ones too. Turn back to chapter 4. Now, sometimes the things that we deal with when we're trying to move toward the heart of God is not just what's coming at us from outside. It's the things that originate in our own heart and our own mind. Nehemiah chapter four, verse six. So we built the wall. The entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. One of our internal challenges is going to be our response to progress. They're halfway done. Hey, we rolled up our sleeves. We got halfway done. I'm telling you right now, this is one of the most dangerous places you can be. How will you respond to this? Some of you in here this morning, there are habits in your life you have desperately wanted to break. You have desperately wanted to kick. And so you, you decide, I'm going to make a change, and you get... 15 days into this thing and maybe you didn't smoke, maybe you didn't drink, maybe it's some other habit that you're trying to kick and you get 15 days into it and you're starting to feel really good because man, I've made it 15 days. How many of you know how long it takes to make a new habit? 21, but usually it's more in the line of 28 to 30. That means you're about halfway there. And you know where most people fail? It's right around this point. Because you think, oh, I'm halfway there. It's all downhill from here. Oh, yeah, it is. It's downhill, right back to where you were. This is a very, very dangerous place to be when you're trying to... How many of you in here, and don't raise your hand, you started a year and you were determined to read through the scripture. You got about halfway there and the wheels fall off. Why? Because you, you feel good about what you've already done. But listen, church, it ain't done till it's done. There are way too many Christians, by the way, that go into retirement in their Christian life. And that ain't just about age. Can I tell you, there is no retirement in the kingdom of God's work. We don't ever get to the point where we're done with what God wants us to do. You know why? Because if you're breathing, you have a reason to be here. When God is done with you, he will take you to be with him in heaven. Until then, you have a place, you have a work, you have a, a duty to God's kingdom to accomplish that nobody else can accomplish but you because you are the only you that will ever walk this earth. Halfway is not there. 
and the internal challenge that we face in our heart and our spirit when we've gotten some of the work done is scary. That's why we need perseverance. Look at verse 10 in chapter four. Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they'll neither know nor see anything till we come in into their place. Here's what we see in that verse of chapter 10. There's so much rubbish, we're not able to build the wall. You know what happened? They began to see the challenges and not the vision anymore. So we love vision. We love vision. We love stuff in our own life. We see something better than where we are and it motivates us to move in that direction and we go, yes, I'm gonna get it done. I'm gonna get there. But somewhere along the line, it turns into work. (laughs) Work. And when it turns into work, it gets really hard. And if you don't have perseverance, you won't get to the other side of that thing. They saw the challenge now and they lost sight of the vision. We have to keep coming back to who God calls us to be. We have to keep coming back to what God is calling us toward. We keep keep coming back to the fact that God says, what I have for you over here is way better than what you're dealing with over here. Don't let the crap and the stuff between here and there stop you. Amen? It ain't done till it's done. That's what happened to the Israelites on the edge of the promised land, didn't it? They got all the way through the desert, got right up on the edge. You go, well, when you get there, you're going to have to go, you know, knock some people out. You're going to have to work for it. Eh, That sounds a little more than we want to do. And what happened? They spent 40 years reaping the consequences of that. Church, it ain't done until it's done. Let's follow God all the way. Whatever he's calling you to do, do it all the way. One other, one of our internal challenges is separation. Look at verse 19 in chapter 4. And I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. They were spread out all over the place. Church, we can't help each other. We can't encourage each other. We can't minister to each other when we remain separated. In terms of a corporate application in this one, which is a direct reflection of the personal application, this church, Orchardville Church, sits in the center of a big square. And most of us are pushed out to the corners. And in all points in between, further south, north, east, and west. Geographically and physically, we are spread out and separated from one another. And you know what? Unless we are willing to come together, we cannot accomplish what God wants us to accomplish for the kingdom. As long as we're willing to stay out in our corner of the box, as long as we're willing to stay at whatever point on the compass that we find ourselves, and instead of investing the time to draw close to one another, so that we can draw encouragement, so that we can draw ministry from each other, so that we can be helped along the way, we will never get to where God wants us to go. And that's true in your personal life. Because wherever God is calling you at a personal level, you know what you need to get there? You need this church. You need all those brothers and sisters that are sitting in these chairs all over this building and ones who aren't even here yet that you have yet to meet and we have yet to draw to the cross of Christ. You know, sometimes when I think about heaven, I don't know if you've had this thought, but sometimes when I think of heaven and I think of eternity and all the fellowship that will happen there, you know, it occurs to me that maybe the best friends I've ever had will be be people that I didn't even live at the same time with. You ever had that thought? 
some of the best friends in, in your entire existence, and by the way, your spiritual life is part of your existence because we are souls with a, with a body, will be people that lived 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, people that lived 200 years from now if God tarries. That may be your best friend in eternity. And your best friend in this life may very well be somebody that God wants to draw to this church to come alongside you and be exactly what you need when you need it because this church was fulfilling the great commission through the ministries that God has given us and they came and they were where they needed to be for you when you needed it. That's why Sunday Sync is gonna be so critically important for our entire church because it's gonna be the place where we all come together, where we sync up with each other, where we sync up with God and we learn how to live a life that pleases him and honors him and help each other when we're struggling. And while working remotely might be a cool thing in our modern culture, it will not work for growing a spiritual life or a church. We're gonna work we got to come together. One other internal challenge can be misleading voices. Turn back to chapter 6. And look at verse 10. Nehemiah speaking, he said, Afterward, I came to the house of Shimei, the son of Deliah, son of Mahedabel, who was a secret informer, which means that he was going to him in secret. He was going to get some information. This is somebody he was relying on, counting on. So he goes to him in secret. And he said, let us, this was Shemaiah. He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. Indeed at night, they will come to kill you. And I said, Nehemiah said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Verse 12, then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. And for this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that I have cause for an evil report and they might reproach me. Listen, it, it can be really tempting to give in to external voices who are calling on you and challenging you to quit going in the way that moves your heart and your life toward God. It, it can be really tempting to, to listen to those voices and turn back toward the world, back toward the things of, of Satan and away toward the heart of God. That can be really tempting, but it's usually even more dangerous when those voices and those invitations to turn you the wrong way are coming from inside. And you do know, right, that even in the church that Jesus said that there are wheat and tares in the church. You know that, right? You farmers know that stuff grows up in your fields and it's not exactly what you're harvesting, but you can't go in and start ripping all that out because you'll mess up the, the crop that you are raising. That's why Jesus said, I'll sort it all out when it's all said and done. But listen, just because somebody comes and sits in one of these chairs, it does not mean that they are walking with Jesus. Just because you drive up in the parking lot every week and you sit in a Sunday school class or a Sunday sink class that's coming and you know them and they know you, that does not mean that they are walking with Jesus and it does not mean that they will always have your best interest in mind. And you know how you can tell? Does their advice, does their counsel line up and agree with the word of God and the vision that he's put in your heart? Because when it doesn't, it's not a God. I don't care who they are. I don't care how long they've been in this church. God first. His call on your life is first. 
And whatever somebody says, it better line up with here or you better just dismiss it. Those are internal challenges. So you gotta know that when God is calling you to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pursue him. I'm gonna change what I'm doing. I want my life to count. It's gonna start a whole snowball effect of things going on in your life. And God has called you to significance. That's the life he wants you to know. But it doesn't come easy. And if that's what he's called you to do, the voices that come against you, whether they're internal or external, they're trying to keep you in a broken down, unhealthy place, far from the heart of God. But if you know that God is on your side, and he does, and if our God is for us, then what could ever stop us? If he's on your side, and he is, if he's pulling for you, and he is, because he's called you to have a life of significance, you will not get to that goal until you start having small private victories that lead to large public ones. It is the small private things that lead to large public things. So here's the few things that I want to point out to you real quickly from Nehemiah. Back to Nehemiah chapter 4. When you are trying to move toward the heart of God, you got to know that you're going to come up against some challenges. But you're going to have to have some success. If you don't have some success, you won't get there. But the success that you have and you enjoy is going to come at a personal level before it ever becomes something that is, is more at a corporate level and a public level. Proper perspective will help you. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13. He said, Therefore I positioned the men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked around, and I rose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Church, you have to know who and what you're fighting for. Men, you are fighting for your families. Their well-being, their spiritual well-being, their souls are on the line. Men, you are fighting for your families, whether you know it or not. There is a study that was done. The effect of parents' uh, spiritual life on their children. How many of you know that way too many kids drop out of church when they get old enough? Happens all the time, right? Can I tell you something? Men, men, I'm talking to you right now, men. I don't think it's a generation problem. It's a man problem. Here's what the study showed. That when a mom and dad go to church and they're actively engaged in their faith, not just the show on Sunday morning, but they're actively engaged in their faith, their kids, something, I don't remember the exact numbers, but something along the, the numbers of 80 to 90% of the time will stay committed to church in their faith because they saw it in mom and dad. If mom goes and dad stays home or does other things instead of being actively engaged in his faith in the life of the church, that number drops down to less than 50%. When dad says, I got better things to do, or you know what, faith is fine on Sunday morning, but I, you know, during the week it's no big deal, when that happens, we are sentencing our kids to struggle in their adult life with whether church and God matter at all. Mom does her best, she gets up and she goes, but dad has something else to do. And when the kids get old enough, they say, well, it wasn't that big a deal for dad, it's not gonna be a big deal for me. 
But now here's something really interesting. If mom stays home, but dad goes, do you know that number does not stay at 50%? It rises all the way back up to over 70. You know why? Because men, God made you to be a spiritual leader. Are you hearing me, men? God made you to be a spiritual leader. And you are fighting for your families. And whatever you are struggling with in your life, your family is on the line. And if you don't have clarity about that, if you don't have the right perspective about that, then you will put the things of God aside and you will go do something else and your family will suffer for it. Because you know what the rest of the family is? They're thermometers that reflect the setting, the spiritual thermostat that you have set in your home. And if you set the setting on high and the thermostat is high, then the thermometer is going to reflect a spiritual high. And if you put the thermostat setting on low, the temperature, the spiritual temperature in your family is going to reflect that. So men, whatever it is that you are struggling with today, whatever it is that you need victory in your life, at a private level, you need to know that your family is counting on you because you're fighting for their souls, whether you know it or not. <laughs> Parents, you're fighting for the lives of your children. We're, we're fighting for friends and family and loved ones who still need to know that Jesus saves. You go, well, is it worth the effort? Yes. Jesus said it's worth enough for me to come down here and suffer and die on this thing that you call a cross. And if it's worth that for me, then it better be worth enough for us to say that I care about enough about the person in my life that doesn't know Jesus yet that I'll get my life right so I can be a proper reflection of that to them. You got to have the right, prop, the, the right perspective to have the motivation to get through the hard things. And then you got to have a right commitment. You got to have a proper commitment. That's the only way you have progress. Look at verse 20 in chapter 4. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And so we labored. We labored in the work. And half the men held the spears from daybreak until stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. And here's what he said in verse 23. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. No, I'm not telling you to work so hard and stay in your clothes so long that they stink. But if work has got to be done, then brothers and sisters, we got to be committed to get it done. There has never been and there never will be any progress at any front in your life unless and until there is a commitment made. We live in a commitment-free world, man. Nobody wants to make a commitment anymore. Nobody wants to make a commitment anymore. But I can tell you right now that you will never know victory. You will never know success. You will never know God's purpose in your life without commitment. The only way to there is through commitment. Proper understanding brings clarity. Look at verse 3 of chapter 6. Verse three, they were still trying to get him to quit. He says, so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, so I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Church, this is how we need to see the work that God is doing in our life as we move toward him, and it's how we have to see the work that God is doing in our church that it is the most important thing that we know, that all else pales in comparison. 
You may remember the time that Jesus was teaching and his brothers and sisters show up on the outside of the, the teaching ring. And they sent a message up to Jesus. Say, hey, Jesus, some, you, your mama is out here. Your brothers and sisters are out here. You need to stop what you're doing and come hang out with them for a minute because they want to talk to you. You remember this story? And you know what Jesus said? He said, who's my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? Those that are doing the will of God. That's my family. Church, when God is calling us to his heart, when God is calling our church into the future, why in the world would we stop and doing, pursuing his direction and start doing anything else that takes us away from it. It is a disaster in your life. It is a disaster in our church. We need to pursue him wholeheartedly, single-mindedly, because there is no cause like the cause of Christ. We got to have clarity about what God is doing. Last thing. When you bring all those things together, when you sort of saturate your life and infuse those things into your life, that will bring success. Last verse, verse 15 of chapter 6. So the wall was finished on the 25th day in 52 days. 52 days. And at the very end of verse 16, that everybody else... They perceived that this work was done by our God. When you bring the right motivation, when you bring the right commitment, when you bring the clarity, then that is what will lead to success. Proverbs 16.3. Here's what Solomon said. He said, commit your actions to the Lord. Commit. There's that word. We don't like commit. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will, guess what the next word is? Succeed. God is calling everybody in this church. How do I know that? Because I know what the word of God says. God calls everybody. That means everybody in this church to move toward him and away from where we are. Now, you may be closer than a lot of other people in this building this morning, but can I tell you, wherever you are, you can still get closer. You hear me? I don't care where you are. No, I don't care how close you think you are to God right now. You can still get closer. So I'm telling you, based on the authority of God, that God is calling every person in this building and in this church this morning to move more toward the heart of God than where you are right now. So I want you to take your rock this morning. And here's what I want your rock to be this morning. You think of one external challenge. One thing that's in your family, your group of friends, something in your world that is external to this church, outside of yourself, that has become a challenge. Because I can promise you every one of us to have one or two of those. And then I want you to think about one internal challenge. Is it how you deal with progress? Is it you need more perseverance in your life to keep going because it's not done till it's done? Is it being okay with being separated from your brothers and sisters and not really thinking that's a big deal? Is it because you're listening to people that are kind of getting you off track even though it doesn't line up with the Word of God? So I want you to think of an external challenge this morning. I want you to identify an internal challenge. And then I want you to think of one thing that you need victory for in your life. One thing. One victory. That's the way we get to where we want to go. One small, private victory at a time.
this morning as we respond and we continue to build the wall, we're committing to the Lord that He is the Lord of our external challenges. He is the Lord of our internal challenges. And He will give us clarity and vision to have the victories that we need in our life to accomplish bigger things. I ask everybody to stand. I'm just going to ask you to hold your rock up. Father, whatever is on the heart and soul and mind of every person here this morning, to you be the glory, to you be the victory, to you be all things because you hold all things. You can do all things. So God, we trust you in Jesus' name.